18. Welcome back to the 2022 and 2022 Challenge. My name's Craig. I'm your host for the podcast. Today we speak with Greg Smith, coach of the Fiji female 15 side team who have recently taken part in the Rugby Women's World Cup. Have a good catch up there. We also talk about uh, the state of Pacifica Rugby uh, in particular in the Southern Hemisphere. Fantastic catch up. I hope you really enjoy it. Let's get on with the show. Sweet. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming on the 2022 and 2022 challenge. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your week to have a chat with uh, with me around sort of your life journey and everything rugby. I think it's fair to say that um, sort of Fiji and rugby is getting some is getting all the praise at the moment uh, that it deserves for all the good that it's done around the world for not only a lot of different countries, but also for the game of rugby because it's the guys and the girls are so talented. Um, how's it? How do you? What do you see things going for Fiji at the moment and and where it's come, especially with your journey? Oh, well, there's two parts of that question, isn't it? There's a where it's um where it is right now and how it's got there. Um, look at the moment. I think it's um very exciting. Um, Fiji for a long time has been around for its sevens, obviously. You know, it's um, the world knows yeah. about the Fiji sevens team. Um, for a long, long time. Um, but uh, the emergence of the of the fifteens team over the last few years is is you know um very very pleasing. It's um I think the um has an international um team it's got stronger by having a lot of professionals based overseas um so you know in france particularly um but there's also boys in europe as well and um, there's a smattering of boys in australia and new zealand but um, so that's that's made the national team strong but the, the emergence of the uh, fijian drawer team into the super rugby competition in new zealand is nothing as significant um because it's for the next tier of boys um who uh who uh, are equally talented, but just haven't quite had the opportunity. So yeah. it's like a homegrown team uh, um, competing against the best of New Zealand and Australia on a weekly basis. And uh, I think they'll have a massive, they'll play a massive part in, in lifting the level of rugby in Fiji. And not only for the men, but also for the women. And the, the Fijiana drawer team uh, won the Super Rugby competition in, in Australia. So. You know, now it's off the back of limited preparation. There's just natural talent and and, and new a lot of new girls to the game. So both sides of the game for men and women, I think it's um, the Jura Super Rugby teams will play a massive part in really lifting the level of rugby uh, Fiji will play. Do you think that so it offers a a different pathway uh, for another tier of players to come through? But do you think there is now an enticement for um, some of the players overseas to think about coming home or playing closer to home because I know that family is very big uh, draw for a yeah. lot of players yeah it's an interesting thought actually um I mean that was uh, initially I would have thought that the answer would have been yes to that um you know the likes of Namani and Ndolo and people like that who are getting towards the end of their careers in their mid-30s may see the draw as a as a way to come home yeah. um but given the success of the team and the emergence of all the new talent, I'm not sure that that's actually the case. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think it generally is a development pathway, and the boys coming through will will play for them, draw them, maybe go and get um, larger contracts overseas. Because I mean, at the end of the day, remittance and uh, money back to the country through professional sport and rugby is still a massive earner for the country. Um, and the boys who are truly talented will get the biggest dollar, and I don't think they can turn it down. So um, I, I think the pipeline. The one thing that Fiji has is Fiji. <laughs> You know, yeah. and um, and and they and they will keep coming. You know, the, the boys will talent will keep emerging because genetically that's the way they're, they're set up. So I think um, you know, um, there there'll be a there'll be a pathway that will take the boys to the larger money in Europe, perhaps. I th- I um, I was my brother messaged me, and he said uh, one of the guys he worked with, um, he must have been at training, and this Fijian boy turned up. And he was, he was six foot five. His back row, stacked as. I don't think he'd been to the gym yet. And um, he said, yeah. "Oh, can I play?" He goes, "Where do you play?" He goes, oh, "I play lock or, you know, flanker." Yeah, yeah, you can play. He goes, "I've got a few friends." He goes, "Oh, okay. They can come and play as well." How many have you got? He said, "I've got 50. And it's like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, that's like winning the lotto. <laughs> all yeah, keen, yeah. all keen. But yeah, um, really. yeah, that's really exciting. I've been really impressed by the way that they've, uh, you know, both Minor Pacifica and the Drua have just really, mm. you know, re-energized the whole Super Rugby format. And I think that mm. for their first season, and you look at um, the Jaguares and the other, you know, Sunwolves who worked hard, obviously, but didn't have the same impact uh, within their first season that both teams have had. And that's really exciting for the islands, for all the for all the islands and all the different cultures that are involved and, and, mm. and rugby itself, because for me, um, very much been an unsung you know the the polynesian pacifica people have always been a very much a sit in the back seat um in terms of being showcased but i think now they deserve every plaudit that they've got because they've been feeding the world stage for so long you know without recognition to the people that's that's as obvious as it as it should be that's the way i see it anyway yeah, yeah, look, I agree with you. Like, is a um, is a, a term here in New Zealand, um, mana motahaki, which is uh, a Maori term for self determination. Um, and um, I think that's the you know the um, the Fiji gets to determine its own self now, and yeah. so does the Pacific. Um, with uh, with these two teams that you mentioned, the Moana and the and the Drua. Um, you know, it's really good to see. Um, I mean, I guess Moana is, is primarily Samoan and Tongan, um, and it's under the umbrella of New Zealand rugby. And good on New Zealand rugby for for supporting that. Um, the island nations, oh, those two island nations' economies probably aren't large enough to support that team, those teams yeah. by themselves. But um, it's nice to see that the um, Fiji government and, and the commercial backers of the Drua has allowed Fiji to have its own team um, and determine its own pathway. I think it's you know it's 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 about time. You you make a good point that. The boys, um, the Fijian boys have 
supported a lot of teams throughout the world. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to go anywhere. You mentioned you're 50. Yeah, there's 50 there, and there's 50 more in Suvan, there's 50 in Lotoka, and there's 50 in Tingatonga. They're all there. So it's, it's nice to um, have, a, have a, a team, I think, in, in the draw that will become a real identity piece for the island. Yeah, definitely. And it can only mean, you know, you the ladies' team, their first season, limited preparation, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they made a massive statement. You know, it's uh, it just... It's it's pretty cool, you know, pretty bloody cool to to hear that. You were saying just before. Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, you go. Um, you were just saying that you're going to be involved in coaching. Yeah, well, um, so there's um, so the the women's World Cup is on in October, uh, in Zealand, and um, so uh, I'm one of the coaches for the Fijiana team, so. Um, on Wednesday, two days time, um, the Fijiana team they they come into New Zealand for the first part of that. They play PNG Samoa and Tonga in Auckland. Is there is there leading bit of a leading tournament? So um, they've been up there um, training already. But um, so this is my first time to be able to sort of connect with them is here in New Zealand, and then I'll go back with them to the islands and and help them prepare um, nice. through August, September, and into October. So really looking forward to that. Um, you know, it's, um, really excited about being part of Fiji rugby again, yeah. um, and um, and and I've coached women here in New Zealand, so I'm really looking forward to being part of that Fiji women's team. Well, congratulations, that's awesome. Um, Thank you. You know, you can. Uh, it's it's again, it's great to be able to to represent again and to to go back and mm. sort of help support you know rugby in the country. Talk us through. Um, your involvement, so club rugby at home, super rugby, played for your country, played for Fiji, the honour of captaining, you know, World Cup. Talk us through how that all came about. (laughs) That's a long journey. Um, (laughs) You look, like my my dad, my dad um, came to New Zealand in 1957. Um, he was a he was a migrant uh, when New Zealand opened its borders to the Pacific Islands. Um, he came. Um, he was by a boilermaker welder by trade. His, his brother had come before him, and as happens, I guess he um, set up home in in Tokoroa actually, um, and um, oh, really? and, and called yeah, and all and all and all the family came down, and so my yeah. dad came in 1957 when the when the borders were open, and down they came in the early 20s. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, my dad came there, he, he met my, subsequently met my mum, um, and she's a New Zealander, um, and, um, and we had three children. So, uh, that was the start of it for me, but when I was 11 years old, uh, my dad passed away. Um, and I guess I, I guess I was young, um, and that was hard by itself, but, um, the connection to Fiji, I guess, kind of built from that point, um, and not, and not having... My dad, I, I don't know, but you know, so I sense now as I get older and I'm aware of who I am and what's in me. I really sense that my father's inside me, and um, and from about 12, 13, 14, I really started to identify with with who I am as a Fijian and uh, wanting to be part of that. And um, you know, you reflect on little little things along your life, like how decisions are made. But even when I was, uh, I think, in 1987, the Rugby World Cup was in New Zealand. 
and uh, Fiji was playing Argentina yeah. on Rugby Park Hamilton. Um, Hugo Porter was a star of the Argentina team, but I went down every day and watched the Fijians play. Uh, yeah, yeah. Train, sorry. And um, I remember being on the radio. We had no money, so I was on the radio trying to win tickets to get to the game. Yeah, and yeah. Um, my mum bought it. My mum bought us a couple of tickets, and um, we got along to the game. And my grandmother said to me at the time, because we were around my birthday, what jersey would you like me to buy you for your birthday? At the time, the Canterbury shop had all the jerseys of the world. You know, you could go and you could choose whatever jersey you wanted. So I ended up choosing Fiji. So awesome. my first jersey as a 12 or 13-year-old um, was a white one. Um, and so I wore that and off to the game event. And, and then uh, later on, as I started to develop as a rugby player, um, I had some um, cousins uh, like myself who were New Zealand-born and um, part Fijian. Um, play for Fiji and, and they said to me when I was about 20, do you realise you can actually play for Fiji? And I had a couple of cousins ahead of me, older than me, that were playing. And I said, well, not really, but but if that's an eventuality, that's cool, you know. So the coach, I was playing for Waikato at the time, of, of my first year is in the Waikato senior team, I was 20, and then um, came along and his name was Brad Johnson, who was a, who's a famous all-black prop and he had just become the coach of Fiji. And uh, and so he came and saw me. Um, my coach at the time, John Bow, was an All Black at the same time as Brad, and they were mates, I guess. And they talked about who, you know. Anyway, got talking, and he said, "Would you like to come on tour?" Um, that same year, I'd played for New Zealand 21, so I was in New Zealand 21 team, and then I'd play for Fiji and played a Test match on Carter Farms Park um, when I was 20, 21, um, and then awesome. had to eligibility rules um, around playing international rugby was changing at the time and there was a point in time where I could have stopped and tried to pursue being an All Black or decided to carry on for Fiji but um, my connection with my dad and how I felt when I was in Fiji um, and then I became the captain in my second year uh, within the team um, kind of was all it was all heading in one direction for me so my decision I guess as a 21 year old um, was to stay where I was with Fiji and pursue, you know, um, representing the, the my dad's um, country and you know become my country and yeah. and be part of Fiji. So that's what kind of kind of led me along that international path. Uh, I was lucky enough to play nine years uh, for Fiji and a couple of World Cups and you know got to experience some pretty amazing times with that team. What um, gives a couple of special moments, you know, during your rugby career, which sort of, if you think about them, it just feels like yesterday. You can you can smell the atmosphere. You can you can just slip straight back into that moment. Mm. Um, definitely, the my first test match. Yeah. Um, so we played on the old Carter Farms Park before they took it down and before they um, made. Uh, the, the the park that's there now. So um, we got to play. Um, I was I was just a kid, you know, like, and, and there was famous players like you and Yay and Evans out there running around. All, you know, I'd watched on yeah. TV as a small boy, and I was like, wow. I was like, vividly <laughs> yeah. remember running down the field thinking, that's that guy, you know. Like, and then I'm running. After I know him. you. I catch him, but I'm running after him. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm on TV. So it was, it was an amazing feeling, and the Welsh were singing, and it was a drizzly afternoon. It was cold and we were going pretty good and we were right in the game and it was just surreal. It was absolutely a surreal moment in, in my rugby career. Um, so I remember that very vividly. Um, 
Uh, and then, ironically, I mean, there's lots of moments, but for Fiji, I guess, um, I remember the, the last one too, where we played Scotland um, at uh, Sydney Football Stadium, and uh, we, we were that close to, we'd be at Tom Smith, scored a try for Scotland in the last moment. Um, uh, I'd come off just after half time, I'd busted my neck, so I was sort of, you know, but I sort of remember sitting in the end of the, in the shed after that game thinking, man, that's probably it, you know? And um, so, you know, the, the starts and the ends were, were, were very um, important moments and I can, can remember both very vividly and where I was and how it smelt and what I felt and all those things. But uh, in between, I was lucky enough to play rugby for Waikato, which was in my province, and and, uh, and the Chiefs and PG. So that was kind of my lot over, over 10 years that I spent playing footy. I've still got the photo of uh, your Chiefs jersey after Kieran was born. Uh, when we went down to Christchurch, I've got a photo of him on um, on my chest, and Kieran's lying on. He was he was only he was bloody small, you know. And uh, yeah, it's funny the things that you 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 remember, and I remember. I think it summed up you. I think you guys were playing the All Blacks, and it was I think it was the national anthems were going, and it. That panned in on you and the emotion that welled up, you know, when the national anthems. And I thought it sums up a hell of a lot, actually. It sums up two journeys that have been going, you know, through life. And it's you're at the pinnacle of your your career. You're representing your country against your country, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it just it spoke volumes as as an awesome moment. Um, it, yeah, well, I think the, the the anthems were pretty special times. I think for yeah. me. Um, standing out there, lots of you know. I've, I've just written about this recently. Um, one of my daughters had to write a piece for school, so I, I wrote a piece for her. Um, I hope she told her teacher that um, it wasn't well. I hope she she's claimed it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't supposed to write it, but I once I started writing it, I got on with it. Yeah. And um, but I, but I, but I wrote about um, um, standing. Um, the anthem was important because you'd stand there and you'd look into the crowd. You know. Um, and it was a moment that was kind of your, I don't know, it was, it was also surreal. You'd stand there, you'd listen to the music, you'd sing along, you'd look into the crowd, and it would be a thousand memories. The thoughts would come through your thought and through your mind. You know, and it was just getting ready to, to do what you had to do next. But when I was in Fiji, um, a number of times, I would see my dad in the crowd, you know, and and he was with his people, and, and that for me was... Why the anthem was so special was that moment of time where I really did connect with my dad. Yeah. And, you know, my dad never knew that I played for Fiji. He died when I was 11. But um, I sensed he was there watching me, which is kind of why I keep wanting to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. You know, it's, uh, that's what it's about. That's what drives passion. And, and, and they're all looking down on us, you know, sort of mm-hmm. just wishing us to be the best that we can. And that's... Yeah, I'm sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, injury-wise, you mentioned, you know, when you were playing Scotland, you come off um, in professional sport. Um, you, you know, it's it's part of part of work life, really, that you're in a high collision um, arena. It's your day-to-day job. Um, how did you cope with with the injuries that you received, you know, during your career? And 
Yeah, I'll start with that question first. I won't make it four parts. <laughs> well, look, it's, you, you learn very quickly as a pro um, that it's part of the job. You know that you, you know, and you learn very quickly that you're never going to function at 100% again. You know, um, learning to operate at 90 or 95 or 80 or whatever, whatever you can operate at, that, that's actually your job to get out there and operate at that. You know, yeah. um, the, the, the quest to the quest to to be 100 percent there is always what you're chasing, but the reality is that you're never going to be it again, and you know, or or you try to get as close as you can. That's the first thing to really understand is that your body's going to get damaged, and and that's just the way life is. Yeah. Um, the the, the process of um of rehabilitating yourself to play again, I guess that was the test of professionalism, you know. So if you were serious about longevity, then you really had to just do the work and just commit yourself to working through the process of. Of getting back on on the field, so it's silly to talk discipline. You know, like you sustain a lot of injuries as a contact sport, and you're in the line of fire. Some positions more than others, you're going to get hurt more than others. Um, you know, so it was, I guess, a mix of you know that realization that that's your job because that is your job, and uh, and the discipline to maintain your space because the reality of professional sport is um, there's always someone behind you that wants your job. You know, there's no lack of players. You know, you mentioned Fiji. There's no lack of players coming. They just keep getting born. So, yeah. if you're going to be out there for a while, you just got to learn accept accept that and get on with it, and um, and just go through the process. So, did you um, go through any concussion episodes during your playing career? Yes. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. Ultimately, that's why I finished. Yeah. So, I I I was. I was concussed, but like I don't, I can't tell you how many times it started when I was a small boy, um, and, and it carried on right through my career until I until I finished. Are we in a better place now with dealing with concussions than we were back then? And I, I yeah, I think let, so. I th- I'll, let's go back to club rugby first, as opposed to higher up the food chain. Um, yeah, look, I'm still actively involved in clubs, so, um. I think as a whole, rugby as a sport um, is accepting of the fact that concussion is an injury, yep. first of all. You know, and so concussion um, is acknowledged as being legitimate where previously it wasn't. So, um, you know, and I think it's well documented, but you couldn't see it, so it wasn't real. So um, get on with it. But uh, now I think there's, there's more protocols that sit around it. I don't know if they're as tight as they need to be at club rugby. Um, still relies on the player to be as honest as they as they should be, yeah. um, but certainly, um, so that's a club rugby space from from what I can observe, and I'm still involved in that. So, but players are happy now to put their hand up and say like, I'm not okay, um, which is important because previously, in the generation that I came into, um, it was certainly wasn't okay to say you had a headache. Yeah, you know? it's one of those things you just had to handle with handle and get on with. Yeah, suck it up, bro. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it certainly was it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So what's 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 the next step? Do you think for um? For, oh, I was going to say, I haven't seen the game, but the result against um for the Fijian boys on on the weekend was uh, mm. really really good. Because yeah, um, thirty six nil. You know, that's great. And 
I think there was there was a lot of press with um, with the likes of Charles Pieto, you know, and the other boys, Malachi and um, Israel, you know, stepping yeah. up to play to play for the Tongans, but um, yeah, I think one observation I've I've had is that, and I know the resource has always gone out of the islands and either move into New Zealand, Australia, or into the Northern Hemisphere. Um, do you think that playing overseas has, for a lot of the players, has given, given them the, um, the wherewithal and the, the knowledge to add to the flair, which now they're starting to play, especially the forwards? Um, some of the set pieces, mm. some of the lineouts are really, really, really strong. And I, I, I did watch one game with the Drua, and there were two or three of the lads were pushing the whole the whole pack back and stuff from a defensive line out and I thought man they're on to a winner there and uh it's gonna I hope that they just carry on and be more successful because I think they deserve it yeah probably a couple of things and that I think that pro rugby has given the boys an opportunity to train properly yeah um first of all you know um Back when uh, I was playing for Fiji, I guess there was um, not not even not there was very few gyms in Fiji for a start, you know. Um, so and there was even less expertise to teach the boys what to do. So there was a few of us. There's a very small number of us that played uh, professional rugby or super rugby. I think there might have been two or three or four of us only. Um, and and then some others played in sort of professional clubs around the world. Um, especially early days between 95 and, and sort of 2000. Uh, but I think professionalism has given the boys an ability to train. You can just see the size of them now. They're enormous. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, the size of a Fijian is just unbelievable. You know, like they are massive humans, you know. So yeah. um, that, that's that's done one thing. But also, also the disciplines of pro rugby. But I think, you know, I was talking to a guy that works with me, Will Helu. He played, uh, he played for Tonga um, after me. He's a bit younger than me. Um, but we were talking at work today, and his, he made a good point that you know that the the Tongans have come from different teams around the world to prepare with ten days to go in a in a tournament, and that's typical, you know. If, yeah. if it's not ten, it's seven days. It's seven days, and so all the talent in the world is going to um, still going to be hard to get a team to work. Um, I think what Fiji is has the benefit of is they a number of those combinations have played in a draw together. And, and and you know and those forward combinations and those midfield backs and the, the combinations that matter the nine tens you know those yeah. combinations that really matter um, they had actually have played a season of rugby so I think Fiji's had the had had the advantage of that but but very very pleasing to see the likes of um, Fikatoa and and Piatau and and um, Falau play for Tonga you know like it's a really good message to a young island boy that yeah. you can go home you know you can you can represent your country. Um, in your family, and, it, and it's and it's possible to to aspire to be the best in the world, I guess, which is an all black or Australian or whatever that might be. But you can also connect with your roots, so it's it's good to see. I think it's a really positive positive thing for for all the island nations. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the boys that come into the northern hemisphere, um, uh, can you speak to? Sort of the kind of support that they receive if the, when they get overseas contracts, because um, 
for some of them, they may be leaving home quite early and, you know, as and it may be the first time they've been overseas. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I, I coached Money Star more and I'm trying to think of the years, 2012 to 14. So we had um, a lot to do. We, we went on trips to, to see where the boys were at and try to get a gauge on them pre-tour. Um, and so I understood the, the, the sort of conditions they were in. I hear about stories of boys from parts of Fiji um, going to France at 18, sorry, 14 or 15. Um, you know, there's these French clubs that have direct links and boys disappear from provinces in Fiji at a very young age. Um, you know, there's a, there's a range of stories that are successful and then there's a range of stories that are not successful, you know, and boys arriving in countries only speaking one language, which is their native language, yeah. and a little bit of English, and then expected to survive in, in French or something like that. You know, there's some stories that aren't so good as well, you know, and the stories of guys getting to a land, getting injured, and then not having enough money to get home or no insurances. And there's, there's still, you know, we, we hear about the success stories, um, but there's also a number of stories that aren't so successful. Um, you know, and I believe, um, you know, the organisations like World Rugby are making efforts. Um, but Dan Leal, um, who runs the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare Network over there, um, are doing some good work just to connect the boys up, just so that they actually are aware of support mechanisms and just feel, so they feel like they've got a connection um, to something that can help them. So the question is, can I uh, speak to it? I can speak a little bit to it, um, but I'm you know a little out of touch exactly what's going on, but I, I'm, I'm hoping um, the things that I've heard, um, there aren't too many horror stories, but I, I believe they still go on. Everything seems to be moving in the right direction slowly. Yes, yeah, I think so. I think I think it is. I, I, I'd certainly hope so. You know, firsthand when I was playing, I would see boys deposited in somewhere in a valley in Wales with the talk of pounds and when they really got there, what it actually meant that they struggled to put the heater on and live because you convert pounds to Fijian dollar, it sounds fantastic, but when you convert it back to pounds and pay the bill, there's no money left. So yeah, you know, well, I hope that's better. Um, I, I hope I really hope it is, but. Uh, I don't know for sure. In terms of um, like um, sort of managing people's uh, well-being, I've asked a few people this question. The boys go to the gym to strengthen the body, you know, um, to put muscle on. Where do they go to strengthen their mind from a playing point of view? What kind of things would they do? Yeah, I guess. That's, uh, I mean, it's depending, I guess, what the parts of the mind you're strengthening. You know, that um, that's I, I, I'm aware of. I used to be a professional development manager uh, for the Chiefs. So what that meant was I dealt with the players' lives as as, as people and their transition out of rugby. Um, so I, you know, did a similar job you know, uh, with Olympic sports in New Zealand as well. So kind of familiar with that space here in New Zealand and aware of the mechanism that sit around the guys. Um, They've also been part of um, the Chiefs under-18s or the franchise under-18s and their under-20s competitions over the last three four years. I can say that there is a, a lot more effort in New Zealand um, around the off-field um, part of the game. 
far more than I was ever uh, exposed to. Um, the, the importance of that, I think, has grown enormously. And um, you know, I was struck when I was first back in the 18 environment for the Chiefs that half of the camp was based on them as a person and them, as, them developing as professionals. The other half was the rugby, you know. Um, so that's, that's been a remarkable difference when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and I think it's everyone's understanding just how important that part of the game is. And I also think that New Zealand Rugby has also identified the need, the social responsibility they have to try and make these men that play rugby good men um, because um, they're in the spotlight. And you certainly know when someone makes a mistake, you know? Yeah. Um, so they're trying to mitigate that by putting the resources around them to make sure they actually have a bit, better set of skills um, than I guess we were guilty of not having when we were playing, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think they're part of the game, the mental side of the game. And there's also, I guess, a greater presence of, um, of sports sites in these environments. Yeah. Um, you know, so not only the life component, but the performance component uh, that sits around a site is far more present. I think every team has one. Um, for a long time, Chiefs down here, David Galbraith. Um, David's done a number of things with a number of teams and a number of sports. But, um, but he's been, you know, really important. To them, when and when they were winning, I think there was a close, you know, correlation between Wayne Smith and Dave Rennie having David Galbraith sit on their hip when they won two Super Rugby titles. You know, so yeah, there's, there's certainly growth in that area of the game. Um, in the last, for what I can say, the last five, ten years, there's been an enormous amount of importance put on that. Excellent. That's great. You know, the, at least the guys understand that. Well, they may not understand at the start, but if the if it's coming in at 18s and then filtering through to seniors, then I think they'd understand the responsibility they've got as players and and how they can contribute, you know, just before and even after post career in rugby. Um, yeah, our, our time is. Um, sorry, you were going to say something else. Well, I was just going to say I think the piece that's missing a little bit is the transition after rugby. Yeah. I think people are still sort of still not quite got that piece right. Um, and maybe the maybe the dollar doesn't stretch that far because um, <laughs> it's all about when you when you're performing, but when you don't perform and you and you're lost and you're finished, that that's still a hard transition. I believe it's not quite been sort, sorted out. Yeah, I think um, it's you know it's trying to help people understand what after looks like uh, while they're on that journey. Um, when, when, when times when times are good, um, but you know, I think sometimes we can live in the moment and just just worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, look, mate, I, I, I did a presentation to um, St Paul's Collegiate this other day, and it was they wanted to, it was a careers day, and they were talking about professional sports, so to raise the sports people. But most of the first fifteen came, um, and the reality to them was. 156,000 people that play rugby in New Zealand is 190 contracts, right? 0.1% of players in New yeah. Zealand get a pro contract. And then when they get it, it lasts for three years, yeah. you know? And that was a bit of a revelation for them. <laughs> but uh, definitely plan B. Well, I know that, um, you know, the numbers even were worse in the UK. <laughs> you know, you've got... They're really? Wow. They're over, they're over 2 million people playing here. And the number of contracts yeah. is it may be similar numbers, but on a bigger scale. You yeah, know. man, that's amazing, eh? 
It's yeah. and I think yeah. the and then you think about America coming online, you know, properly to play rugby properly, and it yeah. just opens a, another world of possibilities. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's positive, and then it's, there's a whole lot of you know off the back of the bright side, there's a dark side, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, I, I know that our time um, is up and I you're busy, so I won't uh, hold you much longer. Um, in terms of. We love the Chiefs. It's been a tough couple of seasons um, and I've had banter uh, back and forth with the guys on the course I did through the Crusaders and they were they're all well, the majority of the I'm the only non Crusaders supporter. Um, so I've been given uh, <laughs> through and through, through and through. Um, I think we're in a decent place. Good to have Damien back. But uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on um, when when we may be able to clinch another title? Well, look, I think they're getting closer. Um, you know, it's um, a pretty strong culture being built there the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's, um, I think, um, we, we had a bit of connection with, with the senior team and the environment by coaching them in the 20s for the last two years. Yeah. Um, and so we've sort of allowed inside their environment to look at how they operate, which is, you know, which is, is, a, is, a, is a nice privilege to have. Uh, and I think, you know, they're, they're not far off. They're the third New Zealand side this year. Um, they got close. They got in the top four of the whole competition. Um, the Crusaders are always good. The Blues were good this year. Uh, if, you know, if we were with a third team, we're not far away. Um, the margins are thin, um, and I think the, the the game that they lost against the Crusaders to make the final was just yeah. based on maybe the naivety of being in the moment, yep. um, where the Crusaders were the pros and the and the Chiefs just froze in the moment. Yeah. Um, and so, not far, but um, that's I guess what a truly professional team would does is understand the moment and they'll get better because they failed in that moment but perhaps they'll learn and perhaps next year and you know the roster still looks strong and you know there's certainly heading in the right direction yeah i thought i i don't think they from what i could see they didn't click all season and they still came third and they're probably about five yeah. or seven passes away from winning the title quite easily but again yeah you know that's that that's that hard-edged, you know, in the moment, being present, executing your skill. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, if they had, could have taken like, two or three moments back in that Crusaders game um, yeah. and did it again, they probably wouldn't won that game and be in the final with the Blues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not, not exactly. this year. Not this no, year. not this year. <laughs> it, bodes, it, it bodes well. <laughs> yeah, a, bit like, right. a bit like yeah. being a Warriors fan. Oh, look, they won, mate. They won. They got home and they won. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I'll, um, I'll finish the recording now and we'll just have a quick catch up afterwards. Um, so, look, yeah, thank no you for coming on today. Uh, I appreciate it. What I may do is drop you. Oh, I'll have a chat with you in a minute. But yeah, I appreciate your time and it's, it's lovely to understand that even though years have gone by where you stood on the podium and represented and uh, you're, you're back in the mould again and helping to sort of build for the next generation of um, Fijian rugby. It's uh, really, really good. Yeah, thanks. It's good to talk to you. And yeah, I'm, I'm privileged to be in the position I am to go and help my country again. 
So yeah, really looking forward to it. It gave me a whole lot, so I'm looking forward to giving some back. Yeah, definitely. Hey, that's awesome. That is awesome. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed the chat that I had with Greg. Uh, really good to catch up with him and just nice to touch on um, how rugby has been for him and his journey and where he thinks rugby is for Pacifica uh, people at the moment. My biggest takeaway is that uh, the Pacifica players are having a massive impact on world rugby, have been for a long time. But with the advent of the Drua and Moana Pacifica, it will be there to showcase their natural talents in an environment which can continue to feed the next uh, group of players coming through. So I'm really stoked to see how they progress in the next few years. So we will wind up this episode now. Um, many of you will know that I'm fundraising for Brave Mind and Head for Change. If you can spare a few pounds, please do so. The bio link is in the uh, episode notes and um, you know it's been a fantastic challenge so I'm going to sign off now um, my name is Craig Bartlett and I've been really proud to uh, be bringing you the 2022 and 2022 challenge podcast bye for now